Do you guys have that one thing every summer you do? I mean, think about what you do every summer. You, typically, we all have that one thing that each summer we like to do. For, for me, it, it was always, I mean, it is, I shouldn't say it was, is building a slip and slide. I mean, I'm sure you guys have some good childish memories, but this isn't when I was a child. No, this is when I could drive and I had money to go buy my own slip and slides. <laughs> So every summer, my friends and I, we would build this slip and slide. It started off with just some plastic and a hose, and it was like 15 feet. And then it escalated into about 30 feet, and then it escalated into dropping into his pool, and then it escalated into about 50 feet. And one year we built it, and it was a lot of fun, and we were sliding on it, and we were having a good time, and then we decided it wasn't enough. So we start bouncing ideas off each other and we're joking and I bring up the idea, what if we connected a slide from your balcony to your pool? (laughs) They're like, that's such a great idea, let's do it. See, I have this unique ability. I can convince my friends to do really stupid stuff with me. (laughs) So we start joking about it and while we're joking about it, I grab my phone and as I'm looking at my phone, I'm scrolling through Craigslist because you all know great stories begin with Craigslist. So I'm scrolling through and believe me or not, but God wanted us to build this slide. Right then, right at that moment, this woman posted this slide. Now I'm from LA, so keep that in mind. She posted this slide for 20 bucks, 10 feet, 10 minutes away. So I was like, we have to do this. And so we hop in my truck and we drive over there. We get to her house and we just come check it out. We're not sure if we have it. I have the money in my pocket though, because I'm sure we're going to do it. And so we walk over and I go to her side yard and I see the slide. I'm like, guys, we got to do it. And they're like, okay, let's do it. So I hand her the money. We pick up this massive slide, which ends up being 15 feet long. We start to load it into my truck and we're, we're putting it in and it's hitting the bed of my truck and it's hanging over the hood of my car, over my windshield. So half my windshield's covered. And so then we grab my straps, you know, because we got to strap it down. We can't be that foolish. So we start to strap it in and we go around it because there's only one spot we could, but my straps don't make it. So I had the bright idea, I was like, hey, Eric, let's roll down the window and you'll sit in the back seat and hold it. He's like, okay. (laughs) So we're driving very slowly as my friend is sitting in the back of my truck holding the strap of the slide. And as I'm driving on the road, I start to hit about 45 miles an hour and then I hear Eric go, Christian, stop, 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 stop. So I slow down and then I hear, the slide had lifted up and then collapsed back on the truck. We were okay, the slide didn't move. We stopped, we looked, and it was okay. So then we kept going, we get to his house and we hose down this slide. We didn't have any plan past this point because we didn't think it was gonna work. So then we get there <laughs> and we get the slide and we're like putting it up next to the balcony. We're like, guys, it doesn't reach the balcony. <laughs> and so I go into his garage and while I'm in his garage, I'm just trying to think of something, trying to find something that we can jerry-rig this thing up. My buddy has six spare tires in his garage. So I was like, guys, I got a great idea. (laughs) So we grabbed the tires and we put them down next to the pool and we jammed the slide into the tires. We tie it off at the top of the balcony and then we duct tape a hose because you know, you got to make it a water slide. (laughs) So then it was my creation. So I couldn't ask my friends to do it just in case it fell and they got hurt, you know? So if someone was going to be hurt, it was going to be me. And so then I go and I climb up and I, and I slide down this slide and as I'm sliding, it tilts. <laughs> I make it into the pool, I'm safe, it's okay. It wasn't the wisest thing, it wasn't the smartest thing. It seemed almost foolish to do, but I did it anyways. 
You see, I have stories like this because I'm not the wisest person. I'm sure you have stories of foolish things that you've done, but I'm thankful for the foolish stories I've done because of this passage. If you guys would, turn to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. It's passages like this that give me hope. It's gonna be on the screens too, if you guys want to look there. It says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish. Things of the world to shame the wise. But God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him boast, boast in the Lord. You see, God uses the weak. He uses the foolish, he uses the lowly and the despised. A little quick background on Corinth. Corinth is this great city. You see, Corinth was the central hub. It was this place where Rome would use to contact the east because Rome was this massive city that ruled everything. And Corinth was their central point to meet and to communicate with the east. It was filled with rich people. It was filled with noble people. It was filled with wise people. But the church of Corinth, though it had some rich people, it was mainly poor. So for them to hear this, it would be this encouraging moment. For them to hear who God chooses, choosing the foolish, the the weak, and the lowly, and the despised. You see, when I think of God choosing the foolish, I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think of them simply because they're in this time of Nebuchadnezzar, who's this king, who then gets this idol, and he, he pulls off the veil, and he says, worship my idol so that you can worship it, and if you don't, you're going to be thrown into a furnace. And so when he shows this idol to everyone, everyone is bowing down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can imagine the people next to them looking over, bowing down, and saying, just bow, just worship. Don't you know what they're going to do to you? Sure enough, they get called up to King Nebuchadnezzar, He's up, they, they come up to him and he starts to tell them to worship his idol and they say, no, we will not. He says, okay, I'm gonna throw you in the furnace. Maybe your God will save you then. And they tell him, our God will save us. But they respond with this. They respond with Daniel 3.18, which says, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, it seems almost foolish for them to do this. For them to not worship, it could have been so simple. They could have been saved so easily. It seems almost foolish for them to say, our God will save us, but even if he doesn't, we're gonna worship him anyways. It seems almost foolish to human standards. And we know from the story that they are thrown into the furnace, and as they're thrown into the furnace, they then see four men instead of three. They are pulled out, and they're unharmed, and they're untouched. And then Nebuchadnezzar declares that the kingdom shall worship their God. When I think of foolish, I think of them. When I think of the weak, I think of David and Goliath. I think of the story of David as he's going to visit his brothers at war and he's coming to bring them food. He then shows up and he sees Goliath demeaning the Israelites, demeaning their God, yelling at them while they're all afraid to fight Goliath. David comes and he's like, who is this Philistine to say these things? Let me go fight him. I will fight him. And Saul's like, okay, here's my armor. David's like, I don't need it. 
So then he goes and he grabs five smooth stones and he, he takes his sling out there. And as he walks out there, Goliath is demeaning him even some more. But then David responds with this. With 1 Samuel 17, 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And we know from the story that David slings his sling and kills Goliath and he cuts off his head and they win the war. You see, the weakest man defeated the strongest. When I think of, when I think of the lowly and despised, I think of Joseph. I think of Joseph simply because Joseph had this story of being the youngest brother, but then being raised up because his dad loved him dearly. Then he's thrown into a pit, and as he's in this pit, he's thrown, sold into slavery. While being in slavery, he's raised back up to the best slave because everything he touched, God prospered. And then he's thrown into jail, and then while he's in jail, he's interpreting these dreams, and sure enough, Pharaoh needs something interpreted, so Pharaoh calls him out, and he gets raised up again to the second highest power. When I think of lowly and despised, I think of the story of Joseph. But you see, Joseph ends with this. As he's re-encountering his brothers, he ends with Genesis 50, 20. He's talking to his brothers. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, why does God choose the foolish, the weak, and the lowly and despised? When I think of the answer to this, I think of Gideon. Gideon has this massive army and he's saying, God, we're ready for battle. And God's like, "Mm, no, you're not. He's like, okay, what do I do? Send them home. Okay. Those who don't want to fight, go home. God's like, ah, you're still not ready. What do you, how many men do you want me to have, God? God says, I want you to have them drink water and I'll tell you who to keep. Gideon goes and he, he has a fraction, he goes and he's numbering them and he's like, okay, I'm going to keep you, you go home. I'm going to keep you, you go home. He says, okay, God, we have a fraction of what we had before. Are we ready for battle? God says, yes. They go into battle with a mere fraction of what they had, but yet they win the war. So why does God choose the foolish, the weak, the lowly, and despised? Why did God have Gideon get rid of so many men? It's simple. It's so that there was no doubt that it was God. So that no one could say, look at how good of warriors we are. Look how wise we are. Look how strong we are. No one could say, look how noble we are, that they had to say that it was God. It's so that in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 29 becomes true, which says this, so that no one may boast before him. Can I be honest, guys? The temptation is to say, look how good I am. The temptation is to say, look how many people I reach. The temptation is to say, look how good I preach. Can I say, honestly, Ozark, the temptation here is to say, look how God used me. The moment becomes, that the object becomes a me. We become the victors instead of God, when in reality, God has chosen us so that we would point to him instead. It's so that we get to verse 30 and 31. It's because of him that you were in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, my main idea today, my main idea, not my DT, but my main idea, it comes from the latter part of verse 30, which is this who has become for us wisdom from God. Jesus has literally become the wisdom from God for us. And then Paul clarifies that is, 
our, holy, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. You see, we get this caught up in our wisdom and our wisdom being this and that, when in reality our wisdom is Christ and our wisdom is solely Christ. You see, our wisdom is not on our own, but it is Christ. Why does God choose the weak? Why does God use the weak? It's simple. It's because their wisdom is Christ. If there's one thing you hear today, let it be this. That Christ uses the weak because their wisdom is him. And that they, as the weak, rely on Christ. Christ.